So I'm going to read the scripture for this morning. It is Romans chapter 9, verse 30 to Romans chapter 10, verse 13. Israel's present state. What should we say then? Gentiles who do not pursue righteousness have attained righteousness, namely the righteousness that comes from faith. But Israel, pursuing the law of righteousness, has not achieved the righteousness of the law. Why is that? Because they did not pursue it by faith, but as if it were by works. They stumbled over the stumbling stone. As it is written, look, I am putting a stone in Zion to stumble over and a rock to trip over. The one who believes on him will not be put to shame. Brothers and sisters, my heart's desire and prayer to God concerning them is for salvation. I can testify about them that they have zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. Since they are ignorant of the righteousness of God and attempted to establish their own righteousness, they have not submitted to God's righteousness. For God is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Since Moses writes about the righteousness that is from the law, the one who does, the one who does these things will live by them. But the righteousness that comes from faith speaks like this. Do not say in your heart, who will go up to heaven, that is, to bring Christ down, or who will go down into the abyss, that is, to bring Christ up from the dead. On the contrary, what does it say? The message is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. This is the message of faith that we proclaim. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. One believes with the heart, resulting in righteousness, and one confesses with the mouth, resulting in salvation. For the scripture says, everyone who believes on him will not be put to shame, since there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, because the same Lord of all richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Thank you for the word. Sorry, I was already back. Sorry. <laughs> Thank you. No, you yeah, you can take it. All right. All right. So here we go. Here we go. Y'all doing okay? We're, we're continuing down the, the path of Romans, and I, I've been enjoying it. I like the book of Romans. It's been fun. It's been fun. Um, so there's this... I went camping for the first time like last year. I don't know how familiar you are with that, uh, but I was not very familiar with that. And so the first time that I went camping, I also went camping with uh, my wife and kids. My kids are very small. And so there's a lot of preparation to be done, you know, a lot of things to get ready. I had to make sure I had a big enough tent. You know, there's five, how many of us? Five of us, you know, get, you know, we had a lot of things to do. But I was excited. I was, I was getting prepared, and I was, I was feeling excited, and I remember we packed all the stuff in the car, and we were also going with uh, Caleb and his family, and we, 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 they had their car packed, and we put the address in, and, and we drove, and felt like we were driving for a long time, and then when we got there, I looked, and, and we were in a cul-de-sac with houses, and I was like, I don't understand what's going on right now, you know, like, and I was like, how do, you know, are we going to camp in somebody's backyard, like, what's, What's going on today? You know what I'm saying? So come, come to find out, uh, we had the wrong address, okay? Uh, we had the wrong address, so we, we didn't get to the campsite till it was dark, because then, it, I mean, we went like the opposite direction. Long story short, though, 
is it illustrates that excitement, preparation, and passion alone are not sufficient for accomplishing the goal, right? <laughs> Just because you're excited and you have a desire to do something does not mean that you will accomplish that goal. Or the, the opposite is true as well. Like if I had the right address, but I didn't go, I wouldn't get there as well. What we see in the scriptures is that, that both devotion, right passion, and doctrine, right understanding is needed for salvation. Okay, it's not one or the other. A lot of times we, we come from groups that are just, they just real excited, just excited, excited, excited. But they don't actually know the doctrine. They don't know the teachings. Then we have other groups who know the teachings real, real well. Uh, but there's no passion and there's no excitement. And so we need both doctrine and devotion, both, both, both passion and teaching. We're going to look at the importance of that today in the verses that we're going to work through. So let's pray. Lord Jesus, please, by your mercy and by your grace, help us to understand your word. Lord God, would we understand it and would we have a heart that is transformed by it? Would you pour out your spirit that we would have ears to hear and our hearts to understand? And would you guide my speech by that same spirit? In Jesus' name, amen. So when we get to the end of chapter 9, we see the danger of zeal. Zeal is like passion. The danger of zeal without knowledge, the danger of passion without knowledge. You look at verse 30, it says, what should we say then? Gentiles who do not pursue righteousness have obtained righteousness, namely the righteousness that comes from faith. But Israel, pursuing the law of righteousness, has not achieved the righteousness of the law. Why is that? Because they did not pursue it by faith, but as if it were by works. Now, the, the overall context of Romans 9 through 11 is, is Paul's trying to answer this question. If Jesus came from the Jewish people and all the promises were given to the Jewish people, why did they not in mass believe in Jesus? It kind of discredited, it could have discredited the faith that he was proclaiming. So he's taking this time to explain that dilemma. And what we see is that Israel pursued righteousness by the principle of the law. Now we're going to be doing a little bit of review today. We're going to, going to go back to some stuff in Romans 6, but, but I want you to see this. The principle of the law is very simple. Do this and live. You do the thing, you get the reward. Yeah. I mean, we all, that's how most of our life works, right? You, you study for the test, you do the test, then you, hopefully you get a good grade because you studied and you did it well. And here's the thing, they knew the law very well, yet the history of the Old Testament is showing that they did not do it. They knew the law very well, but they did not do it. And they thought that by raw effort, they could succeed. But over and over again, they fell short. And see, the differences between the, the Jews and the Gentiles in this passage is that the Gentiles obtained salvation not because they tried really hard, not because they, they exerted a lot of effort, but they realized that they could not earn salvation, but instead they relied on the mercy and the work of Christ Jesus. Right here, we're seeing this, this distinction. I, I put your thinking caps on this distinction. And, and the, the scriptures, we see God speaking in two primary ways. He's, he speaks with law, and then he speaks with gospel. He speaks with command, 
and then he speaks with promise. This is, this is a quote from an early reformer. It says, the law shows sin, the gospel grace. The law indicates the disease, the gospel, the remedy. So listen, the function of the law is to reveal that you have a need. The function of the command is so that you would see there is something faulty with your heart that you cannot obey the command. So imagine if you went to a doc doctor, say you weren't feeling well, and the doctor said, hey, unfortunately, you have cancer. And then you go home and, and you devise of ways you can beat the cancer without the medical help. You're like, I'm going to try really hard to beat this cancer, but I'm not going to go back to the doctor, though. I, I, I'm going to rely on myself. I'm, I'm going to do my hardest. I'm going to Google. I'm going to go to WebMD. All right? I'm going to figure out all the things that I can do. Is that going to go well? No, no because they, they misunderstood the diagnosis. The, the diagnosis is not, well, you better fix yourself. The diagnosis is you are in a, you are in a big problem. You have, a, have some real trouble. You need somebody wiser, smarter, stronger than you in order for you to get help. Do you understand that? So when you hear the commands of the law and then you look at your life honestly and you see, I am not doing it that well. You kind of have two options at that point. You can go, let me set my mind, let me just I'm gonna grip my teeth and I'm going to do the thing. Or I can say, OK, I in this moment see my need. I see that I am not sufficient to meet my need. I don't have the tools for righteousness in my bag. And so I have to go to somebody who does. I can't save myself, but I have to go to the one who can save me. All right, so he continues. Look, look, we can see that Christ continues this teaching of the law by stressing humility. If you continue in verse 32, it says, they, the Jews, they stumbled on the stumbling stone. As it is written, look, I am putting a stone in Zion to stumble over and a rock to trip over. And the one who believes on him will not be put to shame. So in that context, the Jewish people, they were under Roman oppression, okay? They had this other country oppressing them, and they read the Old Testament and said, well, there's going to be somebody, the Messiah, the Christ, and he's going to come deliver us from our major problems. And one of the misunderstandings that the Jews had with Jesus was that they thought the Messiah would be one to come and conquer. Who's going to get our army? We got to go fight Caesar. Let's make this thing happen, okay? But listen, they didn't understand that Jesus came first to suffer. So they had to humble their own understanding of what God was going to do in order to receive salvation. And people now stumble because Christ calls you to rely on him and not yourself. See, listen, gospel reception has to start with a clear understanding of your need of mercy and grace. You know, we have this long sermon recorded in the scripture in Matthew, and it's the Sermon of the Mount. And he begins this ser sermon with this phrase. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That's some fancy language, but if you think about your spiritual, let's say, how much spiritual money you got, how much spiritual worth you got, you think I'm going to bring a lot to the table. It's really interesting how, how much, when, when people find out I'm a pastor, they do weird stuff. Uh, one of the things that they do is they start telling me how spiritual they are. 
you know, I, I'm really, you know, I'll be following G. I'm like, that's cool, man. Praise God. You know, like, I, you know, I, you know, I do this, do that. They just try to try to try to demonstrate their own spiritual maturity to me. And I didn't ask, but it's quite interesting. But but that lets me know that they misunderstand this fundamental truth. That the people who get into God's presence are not the ones who think they have a lot to offer. But they are the ones who know that they are spiritually bankrupt. They don't have anything to bring. But Jesus said, you guys who don't have anything to bring and who know that, you guys are the one who are blessed. You can have eternal happiness because you understand your need at a fundamental level. We can see that humility to the plan and purposes of God is what brings salvation and honor. James 4, 6, it says, God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. He gives grace to those who are honest about their spiritual state, not going to God saying, I have it together, but going and saying, I have need. And that one is the one that God draws close to. When we look at the first part of chapter 10, we see that both zeal and knowledge are necessary for salvation. 10 verse 1, it says, brothers and sisters, my heart's desire and prayer to God concerning them, the Jews, is for their salvation. I can testify about them that they have zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. Since they are ignorant of the righteousness of God and attempted to establish their own righteousness, they have not submitted to God's righteousness. See, Paul, he's sad. He's demonstrating this, this sadness in his prayers over those who are his, his family, ethnically, they're his family. And, and, and he sees that, that, religion, that, that Israel had a religious zeal, but they didn't have a correct understanding, Right? which is really a very nuanced way of looking at them. He wasn't like, they're horrible, right? I can't believe them. He's saying they, they have a good desire. They actually, they want to do something good, but the understanding isn't there. So their desire is futile. See, when we think about people who don't know Christ and we have passion for them to know Christ, we don't need to assume that everybody who doesn't know Christ is just horrible and has bad intentions. Most people are trying to do the best with what they got. But beloved, we know that the best of what you got doesn't help you if you don't know what to do. Okay? And so, so, so rather, we're not necessarily always trying to do the worst thing that we can. We are uninformed. And we need to know the truth of the gospel so that our passion and zeal can be directed to the right place. See, they wanted to show that they could earn salvation, and they missed that God's faithfulness is what saves people. Catch this. They're like, let me show God how faithful I am. But instead, they were, they were supposed to say, oh my goodness, God is so faithful when I am not. That's why I can trust him. That our hope is not in us, but rather it is in God. And this is one thing that I want you to understand. There is always a danger. Get this. There is always a danger of religious zeal without proper knowledge. This is a real danger. And it's really interesting. What I see in the church is sometimes a, a copy of what I see in the broader culture. All right. So, so we got folks who might, might fit more on the right. And a lot of times they have very clear convictions and standards, but they're rude. Okay. They just kind of rude. And I see that in the church. I know what's right. You know, like I, I, you know, it's just like, man, that, that could be right. That might be true. But you're being really jerky right now. And, and I need you to, listen, they don't have the proper knowledge of the humility that needs to come. 
They don't have the proper knowledge that, 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 that we don't beat people over the head, but we appeal. Right? Right? So, so we, they can have this zeal. And listen, the passion to do right is good. Yes? The passion to do what's right is good. But if I don't have the knowledge of the necessary humility and patience, then my religious zeal becomes violent and becomes offensive. The same is true with the, the church's copy of the left. We, we have what I call squishy compassion. We just want to be nice to everybody, but we don't want to have conviction. Some, look, some of the things we believe are offensive. They don't mean you got to say it offensive, but they are. Some of the things, look, when we're saying that people cannot save themselves, when we're saying that you can't follow your own standards, but you must follow God's standards, that means in a variety of areas, people are going to be on the opposite side. And what happens, I've seen is people have, they want to have a compassion, but this compassion leads them to being mushy on the standards that are clear. So again, the religious zeal towards compassion can be wrong if it does not match with a religious zeal towards truth. Do you see what I'm saying? So we can't just have passion and let it just go. No, no. We have to match our passion with the truths of Scripture, which means sometimes we're going to be challenged to be more passionate, and sometimes we're going to be challenged to tone it down a little bit. We need both passion and truth, right doctrine and right practice. And I love this because Christ embodied this. He embodied what it looked like to have right doctrine and right practice. I remember the story where, where uh, he comes and the Pharisees are going to stone this woman who was caught in adultery. You remember that story? It's a pretty, pretty popular story. So they caught her in adultery. They're going to stone her and they start challenging him. And he says, hey, hey, Jesus, you know, we caught her. We about to stone her. And if y'all know what stoner means, that means kill. Okay. We about to, we about to get her. All right. So Jesus, you, do you want to join us in handling this business? And Jesus says, he who was out sin cast the first stone. He said, now you need to look at yourself for a minute. You, you need to look, you, you are, are, are calling her out, but you yourself are sinful. Yet at the same time, do you remember what, she, what he said to the woman? He said, where are your accusers? They're not here. You go and sin no more. Do, do you see that balance there? You, you see, see this, this is the balance of, of right doctrine and right practice, that we would walk in the steps of Christ, that we would call people to repent with mercy and grace, and we would tell them, listen, this is the path you should walk on. Okay? Listen, and then we see in verse 4 that the law, it continues to point to Christ. Look at verse 4. It says, for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Since Moses writes about the righteousness that is from the law, the one who does these things shall live by them. Another way of saying this is that the logical end, the logical goal of God's commands are, the, the, are Christ, are, the, are the, the fulfillment of the promises in Christ. Because what happens is when you try really, really hard to obey God, and if you are honest with yourself, you're like, well, who can do this? Who in the world can do this? God told me to love people. I don't like them that much. Who can do this? It made you to go, well, well, some, there is somebody who did, right? It points to the one who did. And then, then you think about all these promises that God has about forgiveness and, and a new heart and, and this new people that would love him. And you're like, well, who, who going to fulfill that thing? Who, it's not me. 
I know y'all. Y'all cool. It ain't y'all either. Okay, listen, it has to be someone else who can accomplish these promises. And when we look at the commands and the promises in the scriptures, we can come to this conclusion that the only one who can obey the commands and fulfill the promises is Christ Jesus. And he himself said that all the scriptures point to him. And so when we're reading the scriptures and we see the standard and we go, who is going to meet that standard? Christ. And we're reading the scriptures and we see these glorious promises. We're like, who is going to fulfill these promises? Christ. Not only that, we see that the gospel is accessible because of Christ. In verse six, it says, but the righteousness that comes from faith speaks like this. Do not say in your heart who will go up to heaven. That is to bring Christ down. Or who will go down to the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. What is he talking about that? He's saying that you can see salvation as something that you have to exert a ridiculous amount of effort to do. Do I need to go to the lowest depths? Do I need to go to the, to the highest heights? What does he want from me? Or when you hit those crisis moments, you're like, I'll do anything if you do. Da, 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 da. Yet we see Christ going to the lowest low and the highest high for us. Okay, he suffered, he died, he was buried so that we did not have to stay in the grave. And he rose and he ascended to the highest heavens so that we would be with him. Listen, listen, the goal isn't the, the, the requirements are that you exert all this effort. The, the, the goal and the requirement is that you see the Christ who did exert this effort on our behalf. We don't have to go to the highest height. We don't have to, 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 to be like self-pitiful, like, oh, I'm horrible, I'm horrible, I'm horrible. Or we don't have to be fake and say, I'm the best. No, no, no. We can have an honest assessment saying, I can't do it, but there is one. There is one who can. Then he goes on to, to say that the response to the gospel, it's confession and repentance. Verse 8, it says, on the contrary, what does it say? The message is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. This is the message of faith that we proclaim. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. One believes with the heart resulting in righteousness, and one confesses with the mouth resulting in salvation. We see this, this confession of Christ, this, this heartfelt, true confession of Christ. That is the requirement for salvation. So a couple of things. Listen, listen, we, we want we must have an accurate confession. Yes. Jesus is not, you know, anybody. He's the Lord. <laughs> you know, like, we must have an accurate confession. We know, must know that Jesus is the eternal son of God who became human, that he is the one who has suffered. He died, was buried, rose again and ascended into heaven for our sake. We, we, we need to have an accurate understanding. And not only an accurate one, we must have a public confession. To say Jesus is Lord is not something that you do in the corner. And we need to understand the public, the public nature of this confession, particularly for those who heard it. In the first century, to declare that Jesus is Lord is saying that Caesar, the, the king of Rome, is not. Because to, to say that Jesus is Lord could put you in danger. To say that Jesus is Lord means you might lose some stuff. I didn't really, really get this and understand this until I spent some time in Asia. And I remember we would... Uh, I would share the gospel and like we would, we would go through this, you know, we'd go start with Genesis, right? You know, there's nothing, you know, there's zero, you know? So we're starting with, there's a creator God, you know, he's good, he has commands, then we get to Jesus, then we get to his death and then his resurrection. And almost everybody was really, like nobody was like, that's dumb. Most people were really excited about it, right? 
Most people were willing to pray and say, yeah, I'll, I'll trust in Christ. But what was interesting is every time I'd say, okay, well, now uh, it's time to get baptized. They would go, whoa, 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 now, hold up. What, what is mama? What is my family going to think? What is, what is my employer going to think? See, what, what, what's beautiful about that is they understood the, the risk associated with that public confession that this is going to have ramifications for my life. That if I identify with the risen Lord Jesus, that means that I disassociate from some stuff as well. I I, I get so sad when I walk around, and I I was talking to somebody yesterday, we were like, we were talking about how important it was to share the gospel, and I was like, here's what I tell you. If we were to walk down the street and we would ask everybody, do you believe in Jesus? Almost everybody would say yes. Almost, yeah, yeah, yeah. But if, I, if we were to ask about evidence in the life, about some, some sacrificial love, some, 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 some cost to that, we wouldn't see that much. But beloved, when we say, when we confess the Lord Jesus, we are saying that, listen, I, I'm not going to confess my own strength. I'm not going to, going to confess uh, uh, something else. I'm not going to put my trust in anything else. It means I'm going to be at odds with some stuff. But I realize that, that without him, I don't have salvation. Without him, I don't have hope and joy. So I must put my trust in him. The scripture says that you must believe in your heart. You must have a heartfelt belief and repentance. What, what this means, repentance, it's like turning around and saying, listen, I was walking this way. Now I need to walk that way. It's this acknowledgement that I need to turn away from sin. Not that sin is, sin is like a pet that I go like say what's up to sometimes. No, no. I need to turn away from it. It has to be my enemy because it's the one who put my Lord on the cross. And again, in conversations, this is where the rubber meets the road. People are like, yeah, I can confess that. Then I'm like, but you have to repent too. Well, what do you mean? Like, come on, you know what I mean. Well, can I still? No, <laughs> you can't. Well, maybe later. No, no, we have to have an honest and heartfelt confession and say, no, we're not just going to say with our mouth, but we're going to believe in our hearts. And we're going to say anything else that I would put on the throne, I'm going to take it down and I'm going to say, Lord Jesus, there you are. Beloved, this is the contents and the the response to the gospel is that I would confess accurately, that I would confess publicly, and that I would walk in repentance. This is the response. And what's beautiful, he says that those who call on him now will not be ashamed later. And for us right now, we're like, well, why would you be ashamed? But remember the context. If you were to confess Christ, that actually might bring you some shame. It might bring you some complications in your relationships. And to be honest, if we walk out repentance now, it will bring complications in our lives. And so we have to look at this promise. Listen, listen, if we call on him now, you might face a little bit of shame, but you will not be ashamed later. Verse 11 says, for the scripture says, everyone who believes on him will not be put to shame. Since there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, because the same Lord of all richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now, sometimes I'm a, I'm a bit of a grammar nerd, okay? Now, y'all, you wouldn't be able to tell that from my writing, but when I look at stuff. And if you look at the verbs, they're all present tense, believes, 
calls, the believing and the calling on the Lord. That's a continual present tense thing. You don't just call on him one time. Listen, what you realize is that every day I need a savior. Every day I have not obeyed the law and every day I need somebody to deliver me with mercy and grace. And what I love, it says salvation is available to all. Now, y'all know what Greek for all means? All. <laughs> all. Listen, listen. It's, it's equal opportunity salvation. No matter what race, culture, creed, it, 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 doesn't, it doesn't matter where you come from. This salvation is offered to everyone. And beloved, he will not reject those who call on him. There has never been a time when someone's called on the Lord and he said, nah. No, everyone who confesses their need for him. And beloved, this is good news because there are times when you don't really feel like he's listening. There are times where you're like, I, I hope we're cool today. There are times you're like, well, what I did last week, I was wilding. What does it say? Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And so what we see is, not only that we have to have this once profession, our confession of faith, but, but we have to have a continual, heartfelt confession of the gospel. And beloved, that's, that's one of the reasons that, that we, we have the components of our service that we do. Like when we get together on Sundays, you know, we, we usually read psalms and sing. Why, why do we do that? Colossians 3.16 says, Let the word of Christ dwell richly among you in all wisdom, teaching, admonishing one another through psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing to God with gratitude in your heart. So when we're singing about that nothing can save us but the blood of Jesus, and we're singing that it's not the good that I have done, that I can't, I can't make it, I can't have the best effort. No, no, no. In that song, we are confessing our weakness, but we are also confessing the sufficiency of the blood of Jesus to cover us. That's, that's why we sing, beloved, because we can live in this world and we can forget the truths of Scripture. We can forget the truths of this gospel. And on Monday, we can go back to living under the law and think, well, if I do well, if I, if I work really hard, God's pleased with me. But on Monday, I hope that the song, the song re- like rings in your head. And it says, oh, not my efforts, not anything I can do, not what the boss says, not what my cousin did, nothing but the blood of Jesus. That is what saves me and calls me. That's why we, when we get together, we have this, this reading of scripture. Have you ever noticed like, when I, we read a lot of scripture. <laughs> we try to read it. We read it at the beginning of the service. We read the, the scripture of the sermon. We read some at the end. The, the scripture says that in 1 Timothy 4, uh, 13, that the preacher is to devote his attention to the public reading of scripture. Why? Because we are prone to forget and we need to constantly remember the confession that we have. And even goes to when we take of the Lord's Supper. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty six. 26, it says, for as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he, until he comes. So much of what we do is proclaiming the truths of the gospel because our hearts are prone to forget. But we need to remember, no, we can call on him because his blood was shed and his body was broken. Not your blood and not your body, his. And that's what saves you. And not only do we have this confession of the gospel uh, publicly, but we have this confession of the gospel privately. That is why it's so important that you get in the scriptures. Mm-hmm. Psalm 119.11 says, I have treasured your word in my heart 
so that I may not sin against you. Listen, listen, you need to store God's word in your heart. Well, there's this, there's this guy named John, John Bunyan that he wrote Pilgrim's Progress. But one, one person was commenting on him and says, if you were to cut him, he would bleed Bible. Listen, I want to bleed Bible. Okay. That, 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 mama laughing at me. I want to believe, Bible. I want to know the scriptures so well that it just, it comes up. Because here's, here's the reality. When I fall into sin, and when the law, Satan, and myself start accusing me, I need to remember 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. If, if the law begins to accuse me, and I'm just wallowing in sin. I need, I need to remember First uh, John 2, 1. It says, my little children, I write to you that, that you do not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one, who is the atoning sacrifice, not only for our sin, but for the sins of the whole world. There are times when I need to remember Romans 8, 1. Therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Beloved, when I store the word in my heart, I can have the right confession so that I can obtain salvation and deliverance from Christ Jesus. Jesus. That is why we stress reading the scripture, not just so that you're going to have a thing to do, but so that you would be equipped to walk in righteousness. So, beloved, all the ways that the Lord gives us to confess the truths of the gospel, let's be steadfast in it. Let's continue to confess our need of mercy and salvation and have faith that Jesus will continue to forgive and heal us. And there will come a day when it'll be clear, no shame, no condemnation, nothing can attach itself to us because we stand before him and he'll say, you can come in here, not because you did a good job, but because you trusted in me. Come on and enter glory. That's our hope. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would help us to continually confess our need of you. Lord God, that we remember that we are poor in spirit. That we would, would, would cling to humility. That we would cry out to you for mercy. And also remember that every time we cry out, you are ready and willing to pour out your mercy because of the blood that was shed. Because you defeated death. Because you sit in heaven ready to intercede pray for and forgive us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.